Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, science fiction, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And today, you're joining us for our recap and discussion of The Drawing of the Three, book two in the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I am so glad we're reading these books. Oh, man. Me too. I just... Uh... I, I never hated on you for loving Stephen King as much as you did. I just figured that I just hadn't read the right books because I had only read once or twice. Now I get it. <laughs> now wow, you get it. do I get it. Also, before I get rolling here, just so everyone knows, my I've been kind of like st- having a little uh, sickness this week and my voice is just almost gone. So if it sounds like I'm talking super deep on purpose, it's because I have no higher register. I think you sound kind of sexy. Well, I thank you. <laughs> Sound like I was thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, okay, so last book, we got like a taste of Stephen King's writing skill. Like there's like a fancy car, right? And we felt the supple leather seats and the amenities that most cars don't have, like windows that change their tint according to the sun's brightness, climate control. And uh, in this book, we got to see the engine, not the fancy frills, but the real reason why this car costs half a million dollars. Like we're like pressed into the back of the seat, like breath happily sacrificed to the G-force pantheon, the car <laughs> going from zero to 150 in five seconds and like barely slowing down as you whip around a corner. Just wow. The, the cotet is forming. We've got our characters more like coming into play here. Like a lot of people have told me that they read the gunslinger and then because of how cryptic and lyrical and sort of like nonsensical the book felt to them they decided not to carry on with the series and i always say at least read the drawing of the three that's where these books really find their feet in my opinion and and the, the next book is even better and we're not gonna we're, i'm not gonna talk about the wastelands but the next book is even better than this and we're still setting up the journey here like we haven't even left rivendell yet you know yes uh, that was one thing that i really was impressed and was like was really refreshing in this series and the second book was that these books are so well paced i feel like in a lot of the big epic 10 book series you have so much already happening like we've gone through so many different phases and stages and we've been in school and we've graduated we've met our person that's gonna like make us better and teach us some things and we're in the thick of it and this is like the first book was about one thing it was almost like a big prologue yeah, the first book is kind of one big prologue, yeah. Yeah, one big prologue. And then the second book, it was just huge. I, I was really excited when I realized that this was about him just collecting his crew, going from door to door to door. I was like, that's all this book is. How awesome. Yeah, I mean, it gets, I mean, the series gets a lot weirder for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, we definitely derail a couple times. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we are still doing the slow burn right now we're getting onto the train and uh let's just get right into the recap and then we can keep, keep going on about it let's do it the book begins hours after roland wakes up following his palaver with the man in black lying on the beach roland is attacked by a strange lobster like creature which he calls a lobstrosity he kills the creature but loses his right hand index and middle finger and most of his right big toe His untreated wounds soon become infected. Weak and suffering a fever, Roland continues to trek north along the beach, where he eventually encounters three doors. The first door, labeled The Prisoner, brings Eddie Dean, a young heroin addict currently smuggling cocaine into New York for the drug lord Enrico Balazar. Roland brings Eddie back through the door so he can hide the cocaine and get through a customs inspection but the agents become suspicious and subject him to a lengthy interrogation and begin following him once he is released. 
Balazar learns of these events and kidnaps Eddie's heavily addicted older brother Henry in order to force Eddie to meet and deliver the drugs. After Henry dies from an accidental heroin overdose given by Balazar's men, Roland and Eddie go through the door and kill them. Eddie decides to continue on with Roland, though he is still wary of the gunslinger. The second door, labeled the Lady of Shadows, reveals Odetta Holmes, a black woman active in the civil rights movement. She is wealthy and missing her legs below the knees after being pushed in front of a subway train. Odetta is completely unaware that she has an alternate personality, a violent, predatory woman named Detta Walker. Roland and Eddie are forced to deal with both of these personalities when Roland brings Odetta's body into their world, with Detta suppressing Odetta during most of their travels. After Roland enters the third door, Detta captures Eddie and uses him as bait for the Lobstrosities, hoping to force Roland to come back and return her to her world. Instead of revealing a new companion, the third door, labeled the Pusher, brings a new adversary to Roland, Jack Mort, a sociopath who takes sadistic pleasure in killing random strangers. He is also the man responsible for the head trauma that created Odetta Holmes's alternative personality, the loss of Odetta and Detta's legs, and the death of Jake Chambers. Roland arrives in Jack's body just as he is about to push Jake into traffic, and stops him from doing so. Under Roland's control, Jack acquires medicine and ammunition that Roland needs to survive, then jumps in front of the same subway that hit Odetta, Detta, years earlier. Roland returns to his world just before impact, having made sure that Odetta Detta sees Jack's death in order to force the two personalities to confront each other. They merge into a third, stronger personality, Susanna Dean, and she stops the Lobstrosities from trying to eat Eddie. As the group travels away from the beach, Eddie, having broken his drug addiction after a painful withdrawal, begins to fall in love with Susanna. Both owe their lives to Roland but Roland ruminates on the knowledge that he may eventually need to sacrifice them to reach the tower. What a way to start this book off. <laughs> like yeah. Roland losing his two fingers. Oh my gosh. I was, I was actually pissed. Were you? <laughs> oh, I was enraged. Not, like, not at the author or anything. There's like a, there's a level of injury that's like, you can't go back. You right. know, there's like there's like breaking your arm and then there's losing an arm. And it's just like that's a life altering one. Like what if you you can't play video games anymore? Done. Sorry. I mean, you can play video games uh, with one hand uh, with the Xbox. Uh, I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah. 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 I mean, you <laughs> there's an injury you can't really come back. It, it, it alters your life so much, especially for a gunslinger. Right? right. For He lost the two fingers that he would pull a trigger with in like the first 10 pages of the book. Yeah, like I thought, I kind of thought it was a joke or he was dreaming because it kind of happens casually. Like he like wakes up and these things are like peeling back the layers of his boots and they're like chomping and then like chomping on his hands. Like and then he looks down and his two fingers are gone. I was like, whoa, whoa, no, no. Oh, and he's like struggling for to load bullets the whole rest of the book with his one hand. I was just like, Ugh. not like this guy like was living problem free, you know? No, it it just keeps getting worse too. I mean, to jump forward quite a bit. I mean, um. Like Susanna, I'm just going to call Odetta and Detta Susanna because that's what she's called for the rest of the series. But I mean, Susanna doesn't have legs below the knee, you know, and Eddie is recovering from a heroin addiction. Like they, yeah. they're not starting off in a very good place here at all. This, no. is, this is not a good situation. I mean, Roland spends most of this book, all of this book, basically like on the edge of death. 
Like yeah. willpower alone is powering him through. In fact, if he was like in his body the whole time, he probably wouldn't have made it. He just kind of like puts his body on pause and then like goes back and goes into other people's brains. I typically don't like it when fantasy novels have modern day things in them. Like I don't want to, I don't want someone checking their Instagram in my fantasy novel. Not that that, that happened in this, but it was just done in such a way that I never left the magical world. Yeah, it's kind of wild how he was able to do that, huh? Yeah, like yeah. it was very. And then again, another thing that I don't really like is going inside of other people's brains. I was like, oh, how typical! Because the only Stephen King uh, book that I've read before this was Dreamcatcher, and he spends a lot of that book is spent inside other people's brains, and it gets a little annoying. Well, you read Eyes of the Dragon too, right? Oh, I did read Eyes of the Dragon. I always forget that that's Stephen King because it's so different. Yeah, and it's kind of a little bit connected to the Dark Tower in in a weird way. Ooh, what way? Do I know enough to ask you what way? Not yet. No, okay. Kind of. Uh, we'll we'll get to that later. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so he goes into Eddie's brain, and Eddie, you got to give it to him, is very accepting of Roland. Kind of, like, he freaks out a little bit, as anyone would, but you know, like that's a pretty big violation like if you felt someone else in your brain you're just like and like he feels him shuffling like rifling through his thoughts and his memories and even when he leaves and like eddie's kind of insecure and he's like oh man i was kind of enjoying him there like someone who knew what the hell he was doing uh it was just kind of an interesting like he nailed the person you know yeah eddie was very quick to kind of say like all right i guess this is what's happening now um but i mean i guess we can't stay we can't hang out too long in like eddie's incredulity at this situation like obviously it's weird but we do have another situation on our hands here in the airplane which is how do we get this cocaine off of eddie's armpits and help him through this whole situation and i just loved it like that's that's like my favorite part of this whole book is roland meeting eddie and the way that he meets him and he's just he's just constantly like shut up maggot like we have to do this like stop fucking around like let's just come on get in here and then they you know they bring eddie in and just the whole part of like eddie cutting all the tape off of himself he accidentally stabs himself in the stomach with Roland's super sharp knife and they just rip all this stuff off of him and it's so like suspenseful and cool and then he just gets shoved back into the plane and then <laughs> pretends that he's going to the bathroom and it's just right. ah, everything is just it's all moving so fast and i like what stephen king does also and he does it quite a few times in this book where he'll have an event happen and then he kind of like rewinds just like 30 seconds to a minute into what that person what another person was thinking like right before that event took place so even and i don't know if you i I, so i've read a ton of stephen king and this is uh you know this is like your third or fourth stephen king book yeah um I love that he does this, but I know that a lot of people get really frustrated when King does this, but I I think it's very endearing. I don't know how much I would like it if other authors did this, but King really likes to have a, the, the most minor of minor characters, like the captain in the plane, you know what I mean? Stewardess. Yeah. With the stewardess, that's a, a really good example. I mean, she, she's thinking back to like her time in like this academy and like it, he gets so specific and really long-winded about different experiences that people have that you're never ever going to see again. You know, I mean, I what did you think about that? Like as a new oh, kind of Stephen King reader, what do you think about it? It didn't bug me at all. In fact, that sort of thing adds uh, a realness to the person. Like they're not 
just they don't just live on the page and right there they're not just a tool or a mechanism for the story to proceed they're a real character in interacting with our real character and like she had this she had the the voice of her instructor when she was learning how to be a stewardess in her head the whole time being like no like don't disregard that feeling that's your instinct that's what can save lives and she keeps hearing about it and we hear about her and but it's not like overly long it's just mentioned as a way to kind of give her reality and life off of the page and i think because of that it's, she's all the more powerful and substantive yeah it's such an interesting way of doing it because he could have simply just had like from eddie and roland's perspective instead of switching perspectives around a bunch in this very tense scene um he could have just had eddie see this flight attendant's body language and know that she was on to him. And that would have been kind of interesting, but this is so much more interesting. It grounds her so much more into this story, even for the tiny part that she's playing in it. It's just uh, masterfully done. Absolutely, it's masterfully done. Like, it just adds so much more depth to it. Like, yeah, if you would have seen her body language, we could be like, it would have been, we would have been scared, but we wouldn't have gotten those like, chapter ending statements of like and she was gonna keep an eye on him and you're just like oh man he's oh, this is gonna get like, so bad this is yeah gonna get... like yeah. he loves to get you worried which is great because it shows that you care about his characters and what's happening and stuff and he just he uses that very well and i don't mind that i, I kind of like scott that we got to jump over to the captain who was like okay you know i'm gonna ram it down asking the people on the outside to try to you know get figure out the situation i just thought that was a cool way for us to see the whole events of what's happening and for us to be like come on come on cut it cut it you know yeah and another thing that i really really enjoy about this book in particular is that you know with eddie and the cocaine you know he stashes the cocaine and, uh, through a portal to another dimension and um with uh roland controlling jack mort and and things like that it's like the the uh, the outlying people that are kind of observing all of this uh like like balazar he's so dumbfounded he has no idea where this cocaine went. Like, how could Eddie have possibly been in this room for two hours and then gotten rid of this cocaine? And now he's saying he has it. And it's like, these people can't comprehend just how ridiculous of a situation this actually is. Like, it's just, it's not even a possibility. And you as the reader, you're just sitting there like, oh, they have no idea. No this idea. is so wild. Yeah. yeah and it's cool because oh, like, we all love magic, right? And like being tricked, but like not in those sort of situations. You know, no. it's like, those are, we don't want unexplainables. And those like, okay, fine. I guess he just did something. No, it's like, he could, he could sense something like almost otherworldly. And he's like, I don't like this multiple times. Yeah. I mean, this book is such an amazing mix of this. There's like a mob gunfight. Yeah. Right. I mean, in a fantasy book, like we have uh, like this interdimensional travel into a mob setting because of a cocaine deal gone wrong. But this is a fantasy book. I mean, this is ah, it's such a fantastic mix of so many different things. Not to mention uh, while we're talking about the mob thing, uh, what did you think about Eddie fighting naked? <laughs> oh, gosh, I, that, that scene so was Eddie. one of my favorite scenes. It It displayed Eddie and like it displayed Eddie's gunslinger soul. You know, we needed to see a little bit of Eddie being like, I got this. And like, yeah, he showed like wit and some um, like ability to perform under pressure before this. But that was like a, he was like, I'm rising to the occasion and going to do it. He saves Roland's life. A couple times. Uh, yeah. A couple times. Yeah. And it was not plot armory, even though it was kind of plot armory, you know? I mean, they missed, like, every single shot that they... They were, like, stormtroopers, like, yeah. Balazar's mob people, but whatever. It's fine. And, but, I mean, it shows, like, it even says, 
it even kind of like explains that though because like the guy who comes in and just like cuts down the whole room gets a little giddy with his like machine gun and is talking about like any time if you hold on a trigger that's a machine gun after a while you're just going to start like going up you know you're not like hitting you're not being purposeful and deliberate you're just kind of spraying you know and he ends up hitting a couple of his own people speaking of roland in particular uh did you did you think that Roland's personality was any different in this book compared to the gunslinger? A little bit, but more of it just kind of came to the surface. Got more complex. It got way more complex. He's more authentic and not only to himself, but like to others around him. So in the first book, I think he kind of surprised himself at the end when he realized that he was willing to let Jake die in order to complete his mission. And he's like made that decision. And I think he was kind of like, well, you know, we always wonder what we'll do in those situations, but we never truly know until we're there. And he knows to, for good or bad, what he's willing to do to complete this mission. And so I think he was, he was just a little more like action first. Like he was so committed to this path and he's a little bit more reckless as a result, which was just fantastic. When he decides that he needs to make contact with Eddie he doesn't think about like, oh, Eddie's going to freak out. What am I going to do? He just like, nope, boom, Eddie. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> really have much concern like yeah, if, if Eddie's going to be okay. He just needs to bring him through here and like do do whatever this trial of this door is because the tower is everything. And even at the very end of the book, Eddie has a conversation with Roland and says like, hey, what? come on. I'm like, are you going to kill us? You know? Right. Like, he basically asks him, are you willing to let us die to right. not goal. are you going to kill us well yeah are you going to let us die and roland's like yeah pretty much yeah, yeah. yeah. he like <laughs> super sides he like super politicians the answer yeah. like, we'll do our best but <laughs> what was your favorite part in this book uh, i mean call me a sucker for violence and cheap guns gunfights but just the gunfights the gunfight and, and yeah two specifically yeah. the showdown in uh balazar's office just this tight little contained room with like bullets flying every which direction eddie's naked people are dropping all over the place <laughs> they win it shows roland's steel like we you know in in the first book he's kind of a self-contained person so we're like yeah he's pretty cool but we didn't get the proverbial wharf head of security getting taken out immediately so we can see how by proxy this bad guy is like super bad and yeah. in this we got to see some like really hardcore street tough criminals take one look at him, even in his like beleaguered, almost dead state and be like, oh, man, I am soft as a cloud compared to this hard, hard man, you know? Yeah. The way that he's described when Eddie first sees him is just like, this guy is not dead right now. He's just about to be. But still, <laughs> there's something about Roland that Eddie can tell is so strong, right? Like he's so... He's so like otherworldly in his presence and strength. And it's, it's, it's a really, really interesting like contradiction there. Cause like Roland probably looks like, I mean, he's got like his veins are all red, you know, he's totally infected and feverish and weak and starved, but Dirty, there's still something bloody. so like attractive, like, like almost in like a gravitational way about Roland. And I like the way that his eyes are described, like his blue eyes, like the color of like, faded denim or like blue jeans old blue jeans or something Ugh. he is the perfect like quintessential gunslinger like when he was just like looks at people like Doo -doo -doo, i can hear that like whistle that i cannot hit that sound with my voice right now but i can hear it in my head and he just like oh he's just the way he moves it's just he's such he's a cold operator 
Yeah, I think that Stephen King had described him like pretty much like Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because so the Dark Tower movie is garbage. It's really, oh. really bad. Um, and I don't make those kinds of statements very often, but I will I will say the Dark Tower movie is objectively terrible. Doesn't it have Matthew uh, McConaughey? Yeah. And uh. and Idris Elba as the gunslinger. And so that's who I'm seeing now because Idris Elba is just he's just a perfect Roland Deschain. Um yes. but for the first time I read this, I pictured him as like a Clint Eastwood kind of like they like tall, kind of like lanky white dude like character, but it's like yep. dude, like Idris Elba. Idris Elba is the only part of that Dark Tower movie that actually makes sense. Everything else is a total disaster. Oh, that's so bad. And this would be... Did they do all eight books? Oh, no. No, no. Oh, okay. It was... We don't... Let's let's try to have a a nice podcast because if we... (laughs) Let's just say they should make this into a TV show. This is so episodic. It would be perfect. Yeah, Um, it would be really good. To go back to just uh, the greatness was the second, my second favorite part, which was the whole escape scene of him um, getting away from Jack at the end where he goes into the pharmacy. And it's so funny because he expects to see like a wizard's like alchemists, (laughs) you know, like all these like bubbling tubes and all these things. And he's like, where's the mage? (laughs) (laughs) It's just like people shopping for stuff in like a normal grocery or drugstore. Right, you can hear like corporate music just playing in the background. You know, it's like so like not an apothecary of like mysterious magic. Well, and he's like robbing this drugstore, right? At this pharmacy, and the pharmacist when when Roland leaves, he's like, he just took like sixty bucks worth of penicillin. Right, and he gave him a watch. That (laughs) was like a couple hundred thousand. dollars watch. Yeah, (laughs) and he pays for the bullets too. Yeah. And he robs the guy, you know, just like, oh, Roland. <laughs> He's such like a, I'm going to get this done and I don't care how I'm going to do it. Like when he like bashed the two cops heads together, I was like, oh my gosh, like here we go. <laughs> he just killed two. Oh, he didn't kill them. He made a very good point that he, because he calls them gunslingers too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just really funny. It's like, like cops in this day and age, you know, say what you want about them. Like they're not as cool as <laughs> Roland Deschain. Thumbs in their pot bellies, eating <laughs> yeah. some donuts, yeah, staking right. out the guy. Like <laughs> Roland's just like they don't look like great gunslingers, but they're still <laughs> gunslingers. <laughs> I have to respect them. The name is there. And then at the end, when he takes out the other guys, he's like, "You guys were actually good, but like, don't lose your honor." Or so he gives them like don't a forget talk. the faces of your fathers. <laughs> yeah. You have forgotten the oh face of gosh. your father. <laughs> there was multiple times, like the things that he said that I was just like, oh, Roland, I love you. I know he's like kind of deliciously ignorant about stuff, you know, yeah. but I mean, why, oh, why wouldn't he be? I mean, he's seeing all this like when um, when Eddie gives him the like the hot dogs and the um, the soda, when he drinks the soda and he's like, wow, this is so sweet. Like, why would anybody go to the trouble of smuggling cocaine when sugar is all over the place? <laughs> and it is kind of interesting to think about because, like, I mean, we consume sugar on a fairly regular. I mean, I know you do. Like, I know. Oh, yeah. I'm a sugar I know fiend. You, but, I mean, we're pretty desensitized to sugar. But if you went, like, six months without touching sugar, like, at all, other than, like, maybe eating a piece of fruit now and then, by the time you had a, a Pepsi, like, that would taste 
probably it probably tastes bad honestly it, you'd <laughs> like, probably be like like so sweet you know but it must have been just like a you know that last scene of like the mummy returns when the oasis oh, yeah. gets turned into the jungle and all like a bursting forth that's oh, kind of yeah. what it would be like in your mouth <laughs> <laughs> okay so okay, one of okay. my <laughs> this is what i pictured you know that's some that's some good content right there i know it really is mm-hmm. good good notice me thank you thank you so as like kind of cliche and like silly as Roland could be sometimes he has like really wise moments, you know, where Eddie was like asking him like, well, you know, like a cliche, like, do you know what that means? And Roland just like quick as rain is like, it means what is, it means what is always said or believed by people who think little or not at all. <laughs> that is a great definition of cliche. Like I sat and thought about it for like five minutes and just kept getting better and better and better. I was like, Oh, that was so deep. And of course, Eddie was like, yeah, no, I, I could not have said that better yeah, myself. That's wow. Totally right. I didn't think <laughs> you were going to have an answer for that. Yeah. What did you think about Eddie and Susanna hooking up? Like falling okay. in love as quickly as they did. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? I tried to not think about it too much. Honestly, because like I feel like if I would have, I would have given it a little bit of an eye roll. Yeah, you know. Sure. But then it's like I don't know. Sometimes you just know, you know. But it was kind of odd that he spent like what a minute or two looking at her into her eyes before she becomes Odetta and goes off the rocker and it's just like. Oh, you mean Detta? Or Detta? So yeah, sorry. Oh. He she becomes she becomes Detta and then is just very very mean. I typically don't like a insta love kind of situation um but with this i i'm gonna try and say this without spoiling it but ka is an interesting funny thing you know um like eddie and Susanna. we will we'll see more of them soon obviously i I love the ka thing because that's kind of what i put in my brain too is just like it's just kind of what needs to happen in this story and you know the guy has also been numb for the last what 10 years of his life He's just now coming free of his addiction and feeling things for like the first time. Like it kind of stands to reason that the first person that he would be attracted to in that way that he goes through traumatic like experiences with, like those feelings would be strong and like fresh. And it's the first time he's felt them. He's probably like a seven year old, you know? Yeah. And like King wastes no words in telling us the audience that, that Susanna Odetta Detta is a very beautiful woman like Odetta is super smart she's a very refined person she was part of the civil rights movement you know I mean like she's just a very intelligent well-meaning person and I think that in contrast to Roland maybe Eddie was like oh thank god like some somebody here that understands my world to an extent and is not like you know doesn't think that I'm just like a pain in the ass a maggot yeah has an ounce of empathy you know I did think it was a little odd that they made love on the beach so quickly because it was kind of like, okay, this is, what, this is what I was doing in my brain, right? So Eddie already gets told once by Roland, like, hey, keep your wits about you. And keep your then, guard up. Keep your guard yeah. up. Yeah. And then Roland, like, lets him almost get attacked or lets him pretty much get oh, attacked. Oh, be on your her. guard. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but be oh, on no, your guard fine. is what he said. That's uh, be on your guard. Yeah. And then yeah. he doesn't at all. And Roland, like, watches with eyes through eyes slitted as she's about to, like, brain him with a rock. Um, and then lets him suffer from that. And then like tells him afterwards, like to bring the point home, like, remember me telling you that? Yeah, this is what I meant. And then it's like, okay, they, they know that she saw a flash of her other side when 
she was led into their world through the door. Yeah. And someone is scheming, you know, Odetta is very smart, and so is Detta, obviously, they're the same person. So it's like, wouldn't you think that Odetta might be because she has a stronger personality, be forcing the other one down and then only let her come to the surface so she could be genuine and like kind of break down their walls, build up trust. And then what a better time to grab a rock and brain him. It's like the classic spy hooking up with someone else. And while they're defenseless, oh, yeah. I didn't really think about that. And out. Was, I was like, Eddie, yeah. come on, man. Like, this is the lesson that you just learned. And now <laughs> but he doesn't learn his lessons very ever. easily. Yeah. No. <laughs> and then even a third time, he like gives her the gun. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, and then <laughs> I love when Roland's just like, she's got live iron. Like, you <laughs> gave her the gun. I told you not to give her the gun. And Eddie's just like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And he's just up on that hill, like scoping them out. And then Eddie falls asleep when he's like going up to go deal with her. Or whatever. I thought for and, sure he must be, a, yeah. he's faking it. He's faking it. He's yeah. going to get her because he he's learned asleep. his lesson. Nope. He actually <laughs> fell asleep. I was like seriously disappointed. I was like, yeah. man, really, Eddie? He forgot the face of his father. Yeah, he forgot the face of his father for sure. But yeah, he was just like, yeah, "You're gonna give her live iron? Like we, like oh, uh, Odetta could come back at any minute. And you're gonna give her a gun with bullets." I mean, Odetta didn't want it. To be fair, you know. Right. But I, I do like that that theory. It's not really a theory, but just um, I mean, because it's brought up in the book, right? That uh, Detta and Odetta might have some sort of, if not an understanding, then Detta is obviously the the more um strong force in this situation. Um, but I like your thinking there that um, like Detta was still like Odetta was still Detta maybe. Um, at certain points, I don't think that's actually true, but I think I that think that's. So. I think it's interesting for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I was wrong, but even when she was like, "No, don't give me the gun. It'll make the gun." Sl-, I was like, "This is really good manipulation, and it's working perfectly." Like, uh, Detta's in the background, just like snickering, like he's gonna give me the gun. Don't give me the gun. <laughs> just give me a pile of rocks, and then it's like, <laughs> gets the loaded gun. Rocks. Yeah, and then of course she's sneaks off man she could get around yeah yeah it's pretty impressive like she gets pretty far away from their camp yeah i mean she's determined for sure yeah yeah she's but i mean just odetta doesn't seem like she has that like iron that is going to be needed especially for someone who has such a huge challenge to overcome without the loss of their legs or without the function of their legs on a like adventure where they're traveling a bunch you know so it's like she's gonna need the steel that's in Data. And so the kind of merging of their characters was a cool and I think needed um, thing to happen. Yeah, like I don't know if you noticed this, but Roland um, kind of continuously compares his old friends um, like Cuthbert and Elaine and stuff to these new people that he's brought into his life and kind of is thinking of them as gunslingers already. You know, yes. like just keep that in mind, you know. Um, like he even Eddie... judges them as his friends would judge them. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. And like that, man, I, Susanna becomes one of my favorite characters in, in this whole series. She's awesome. Like she's really, really great. Uh, Isn't like the, one of the books even called Song of Susanna? Yeah. The sixth yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's a lot of people don't like Song of Susanna. I think it's great. It's like one of my favorite books in this whole series. Um, people's favorite book seems to be number four, which is not my favorite, but maybe it will be on our next read through. Interesting. But, I don't know. I wanted to go over this quote really quick. Um, and it says, 
might as well try to drink the ocean with a spoon as argue with a lover, which I love that. Um, and there's another quote. It's not really a quote, but um, what, why do you love it so much? Before you move on from that one, I want to hear well, your like thoughts. Well, Alex, Alex, I have to say this other part okay, to okay, explain. Like, okay. uh, and then there's a part where Roland uh, says that he can recognize a fool when he when another fool sees another fool. You know, I'm <laughs> kind of paraphrasing there, but um, it really puts Eddie and Roland on like similar ground. Like Roland's, you know, I asked you earlier if you had if you had noticed any kind of like changes in Roland's personality, and like I liked your answer a lot, and like my my answer to that would be that like in this book you're seeing Roland kind of like open himself up more to the possibility that he also has flaws, you know, and then he sees a lot of his own flaws in Eddie, and there's a sort of like camaraderie that's starting to build between the two of them where they're kind of like on an even playing field almost like obviously Roland is much older, much wiser, much more capable, but like Stephen King really like he's, he's really drilling it into us that like Eddie is really sharp. Like mm -hmm. Roland recognized that even though he thinks he's kind of a pain in the ass sometimes. And I just really loved that quote because, you know, uh, I mean, I've tried <laughs> telling one of my friends like, hey this probably isn't a really good idea you know like it's none no. of my business but like you don't seem super happy right now like you know and it, it really is like you might as well try to drink the ocean with a spoon as argue with a lover and i don't think it means like your lover i think it means like somebody else that's like smitten you know like it's never gonna you're not gonna convince them like right. they have to figure this out for themselves and it's echoed in how roland um like kind of stays awake and watches odetta or detta kind of like try to hurt eddie while he's sleeping it's like you kind of have to let people make mistakes you know like you might as well try to drink the ocean with a spoon like they got to figure this out for themselves right and he's giving eddie the space to be able to do that just like he was given the space to make mistakes when he was training under court back in gilead oh. you know yeah that, that all just yeah like, well it all just works so well it's perfect and that is actually one part about eddie and Susanna's love that i did really like about it because at no point was Roland like, so you guys are in love now? Like, what? He just, like, accepts it and immediately treats it like kind of a problem. He's like, and you're in love with her, so, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> there's that. There's that. <laughs> if we didn't have enough issues already, you know, we've got this person with hardcore split personality disorder, and <laughs> we need to figure this out, and now you're in love with one. Okay, great. Cool, yeah, Eddie. Great, great. Um, one thing I found to be really profound and cool was kind of the need of others. Like we get so, I don't know, this happens to me where I'm just like in my brain and I'm like, I can do this on my own. And when Eddie has to be the only one kind of carrying them forward, when Roland is, he just gets on the other side, Roland is dying basically from fever. And, but I mean, Eddie is withdrawing from what a 10 year to decade long heroin addiction where he's like shooting up with a needle. Like that is oh. hardcore suffering. I don't know if it's and, ten years. It's a while. Yeah, it's okay. I, think he, it might I can't not remember how. Old. I think Eddie's twenty three. Oh, okay, and definitely not ten years then. Or is he twenty seven? I can't remember how old Eddie is. Yeah, but Doesn't he's matter. deep in it, and he, you know, he wasn't able to do it on his own. So he clearly doesn't have the strength for himself. But it was the fact that he had to be strong for someone else. Yeah, that was he was able to do it, which is really like a profound thing. Because many times. Um, you know, we don't take care of ourselves like we do for others. Like there's a, a statistic that says like 70 or 80% of people don't take their prescription fully like how they should, but like 95% of people make their dog take the prescription how it should be taken. So it's like, why are we caring for our dogs better than we even care for ourselves, you know? 
And it was just kind of a cool lever that it took someone else for him to take care of and be like the stronger one to kind of break him of his addiction and, and really prove to himself that he was worthy again and not just a, um, a vampire on society and everyone around him. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how, like, I mean, by the end of this book, you almost think like Eddie is a better person than Roland, especially with that last conversation that they had. It's really, really cool. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that sentiment and I don't want to get super into it without spoiling stuff. But by the end of this book, at least it's like, man, Eddie's kind of a stand-up guy and Roland pretty much just admitted that he would let his friends die again to get to this tower. Uh, I have another quote here that I would really like to read through if it, if you don't mind. Yeah, not at um, all. It's kind of a lengthy one, but I think that it sums up a lot of what I was just talking about. It says, if you have given up your heart for the tower, Roland, you have already lost. A heartless creature is a loveless creature, and a loveless creature is a beast. To be a beast is perhaps bearable, although the man who has become one will surely pay hell's own price in the end. But if you should gain your object... What if you should, heartless, storm the Dark Tower and win it? What could you do except degenerate from beast to monster? To gain one's object as a beast would only be bitterly comic, like giving a magnifying glass to an elephant. But to gain one's object as a monster, to pay hell is one thing. But do you want to own it? Jeez, dude, like, god damn. That's such incredible writing. Like, jeez. So many times during this book, I'm like, just wow, just wow. Like, and then like he takes it to another level deeper, and I'm like, okay, now you're just showing off. But like, please don't stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, King King can get really poetic, um, and he gets yeah. really deep sometimes. And just you know, this idea that like, uh, if the if the path that you're taking to get to the thing that you want turns you into a person that that you wouldn't have even want to have been by the time you get that thing. Is it even worth living after having attained that goal? If you're a person that you didn't want to be, you know, like that's, that's a really big theme in this, in this series, you know, and it's that, that exact quote, it's a little long, but man, but it's it's like the, you know, no empire wants to be an emperor of corpses, right? It's like, will you kill all of your enemies so you can rule over a graveyard sort of thing? It's just like, uh, and the person that you'll become along the way that you're forced to, um, does that justify the gaining, you know, will you lose more than you gain? Well, and just how alluring must this tower be? Right. I mean, if, because he knows that this is a dialogue he's having with himself. Like this is internal dialogue. He's thinking this all, he's not unaware of how much of a ass he's being about all of this. And, it's just like, but the tower, the tower, the tower. It's just, ah. Yeah, he's almost looking at himself from like an outside perspective. He's like, yeah. I'm committed and I'm not going to go off of this path. But he's smart enough to see outside of himself and like see what his actions are doing to himself. It's an interesting, I'll be interested to see how Roland's character progresses and either devolves, you know, Mr. White style or... Uh, whether or not he can realize it and stop it before he Walter White's out completely. Hmm. Um, okay, I have a question for you. So this is your second time reading through the book. Was there anything on this reread that you forgot about, snuck up on you, and you're like, oh, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was the part where uh, I think it was, I think his name was Jack Andalini, but that part where they bring one of the mobster guys like through onto the beach, and then yeah. like, Eddie and him are fighting, and Roland shoots... Andalini's gun 
right when the guy is firing it and he's like it's only i've only seen it happen two times where like the bullet hits the gun as soon as the gun is firing and then it blows up in the guy's face tears his whole face off and then he just like stumbles down the beach and gets eaten by lovestrosities <laughs> i was just like okay okay oh my god i forgot about that like that that is like definitely one of the more intense uh parts of this book and uh, i just forgot that yeah, these get a little, these get pretty dark and brutal sometimes. <laughs> like, but they're also kind of funny, yeah. right? Because then he does this thing where he backs up a couple minutes and he jumps outside to Balazar, who's like listening to this weird like thumping. And he's like, someone's like having a party on the neighborhood. But like, yeah. I shouldn't worry myself about those loud noises. But he's just yeah. hearing the gunshots that are coming from through the portal. Yeah, it's really, uh, that that part definitely, um, I, I kind of re started remembering it like while I was reading it. Because I, I mean, I read these books a while ago, like definitely like, I don't know i want to say like six or seven years ago and so yeah rereading it and just like uh, it's very descriptive king thank you appreciate yes, it, <laughs> it appreciate you telling me exactly what some guy's face looks like after it's been blown off appreciate it it's oh awesome. my gosh yeah i mean these characters like he is not afraid to get super dark and grisly with it sometimes like oh oh wow oh boy um all right so as we start kind of wrapping it up here uh what do you think is going to happen in the wastelands it's a big book 600 pages okay what do i think is going to happen huh okay so i i just want to say right now i super called it we got to get our crew together in yep. this next book i called that one super did not call the uh ocean voyage prediction though oh, that yeah. was... i know you said that and i was like they're not good <sighs> I, was really I think you just you just love an ocean voyage. I just love an ocean voyage. Yeah, yeah that's my it's thing. fair. It's fair. It's valid. Um, so I didn't get that, which I was a little sad on, but I was justified that the the collection of the friends and the and the cat the the crew being gathered was a thing. Um, boy, I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> I think you might be oh. saying that like quite a bit more often as we're reading these. Two. Yeah, yeah, like there's no like oh, it's clearly going this way and it's clearly going in this direction. So inevitably, it's like. Roland will have an iron straight A to B shortest path straight line approach at the tower, but I don't think that he even knows where it is or yeah. like what it is. I have no idea if he even knows why he's trying to find the tower, which normally after a second book in a series, if I didn't know something critical like that, I would be pretty upset. But in this, it's just done in a way that it's like, nah, it's fine. I'll find out about it later. I think we as the reader also are... are it's it's king's choice to keep us ignorant you know like we want to know like what is it about this tower that's making roland so okay with ditching his friends like what is it okay right. like what is this thing i mean we got a little bit of a glimpse of it when the with the palaver between the, the man in black and roland but it wasn't enough it's not enough for us to really be on roland's side yet you know right so yeah, i don't know what he's hoping to accomplish yeah. Uh, also, you know, King really loves the word palaver. Yeah, I love it. Am too. I saying that right? Palaver. It's palaver. Palaver. Okay, I looked yeah. it up after like the sixth time that he uses it. I was like, it's got to be like a meeting of people where they yeah, change it's like words. A conversation. And, yeah. Yeah. But he uses it very often. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody in a blue chambray shirt yet, but uh, maybe. <laughs> Does that happen but, a lot? Yeah, he loves he loves a blue chambray shirt. In fact, what that's, is a chambray shirt? It's it's like a it's like a it's not denim really, but uh, like look it up. It's it's just, you'll recognize okay. the shirt like as soon as you see it. Um, but it's like a it's like a work shirt kind of. It, it's become kind of a meme over the last like decade or so that Stephen King always has a guy in a blue chambray shirt somewhere in one of his books. And oh, it's yeah, funny I know exactly these sort yeah, of shirts. And it's funny because 
uh, I just read Fairy Tale, uh, which King wrote like a year ago. Um, it was just published like a, two months ago. And um, sure enough, he had a guy in a blue chambray shirt. And I feel like that was him kind of acknowledging the meme. Or unless right. he hasn't seen the meme and he really does just put it in all. Of, I think he knew about that he's one. He's seen though. the meme and yeah, he's like I think... calling himself out. That's <laughs> so good. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. So as we wrap up here, um, tell me a little bit about Cotet. Like what? Like I know a caw is like the road, the path, fate, the direction you should go that you have no choice. But then he mentions like a cotet. Talk to me about that. Yeah, the cotet is um you read the Wheel of Time, right? Yeah, yeah. You, huh? wait, okay. So it's up you know, until like, the like eighth book. Yeah. So you know what Taviran is, right? It's like a group of people bound together by destiny or fate. Yes. You know, and that's kind of like Ka is kind of like this. It's like fate, or it's kind of like the 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 mysterious mechanisms of the universe. You know, that's how I look at it, at least. Right. Um, and the cotet is like people that are they almost had like no choice but to have been brought together. You know, um, and so the cotet is forming like the the fellowship. You know, the grouping um, of them. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what cotet is. At least in in my opinion, I'm sure that somebody. It's like way more into the dark tower would be able to give yeah. you an even cooler definition. But yeah, I love the introduction of Ka as a thing, though, because it really helps you as a reader to get over things like who's putting these doors there? Why is someone leading him on this journey? Like, it's probably not the man in black because man in black doesn't want him to complete this journey or so he says. Um, so, like, what is going on with this door? Did the tower lose these and they're scattered across like what? Let's go. But then you can just be like, Ka, and move forward, you know? Yeah, Ka is a wheel. I almost got Ka tattooed on my forearm like, the first time I read this. Which, I, th- I mean, I'm, I might still get a Dark Tower tattoo, but I don't think I need, like, the letters K-A, like, really big, like, on my forearm. Like, I don't know. I still might. But... It might be kind of cool, you know, get them all, like, cool. fancified and stuff. Yeah, I've seen some really, really great Dark Tower tattoos. And I love the kind of, like, he's almost making fun of himself, too, when he keeps saying, Ka, because uh, when Eddie is, like, frustrated with him, he's like, yeah, well, if you say it twice, it means, like, taking a poop, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then they laugh about it later. Yeah, roll, it, it, you know, something that I really, really liked about this book is the um the kind of, like, the demasculinization of Eddie and Roland, you know what I mean? Like, there are these two, like, you know, one's a, a, a hardened, like, gunslinger, and one is a hardened like drug smuggler and and heroin addict and like he's from brooklyn and like but they like cry together and like laugh together and they have like a lot of camaraderie and like it's just it's very refreshing especially from something that came from the late 80s where there are parts of this book that are have aged pretty badly you know like you don't have to read super far into this to really notice that there are words being used here that they would not fly uh, these days there are certain like phrases and sentences and stuff that's just they're dead like we're not going back to using that kind of stuff but there is something really cool about king writing in the late 80s and having like these two manly men like being able to cry with each other and be real with each other and like have this friendship that they have and it's it's a complicated friendship you know it's not just two guys like drinking beers you know it's it's a it's a very complex and um, emotional relationship that the two of them have because they're both complex and emotional people. And I just I wanted to point that out. It's very important to the rest of this series too. Yeah, it is. And it, it was kind of refreshing that, so we get this like very masculine, confident, cool operator character, but he's still a real person and is not so confident and so like kind of ego driven that he doesn't allow his walls to be brought down. We can see some like real 
bond being formed between him and Eddie, you know, almost like a brotherly sort of thing relationship that is yeah that about. And Eddie's kind of replacing Henry almost, you know. Yeah. And there was also that moment that Eddie said, uh, you know, some people just like they they want to feel like they're important because they or they want to care about people because it makes them feel better or something like that. It was like I'm paraphrasing really heavily there, but you know, Eddie, I feel like Eddie was kind of. It seemed like he was talking about Henry, but I think he was actually talking about himself, you know, and it, kind of like what you had said earlier about how Eddie kind of took the reins on making sure that he was able to transport Roland and uh, Susanna, you know, like he'd be pushing Susanna and have Roland on his back or something. And like, he's making this happen. He's taking care of them. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of picture Eddie as um, like Jesse from Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. That's I, I guess he was asked to be Eddie um, when they were like kind of floating the idea of turning this into a TV show. I think Jesse's probably a little bit too old for it now. Or, um, Aaron, well, I can't remember that guy's name. Aaron Pink um, Pinkerton Pinkridge. Well, his name in the show is Jesse Pink Pinkman. Pinkman. Oh, right. Um, but I can't remember his name in like our world. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, he's kind of. But world it's name. it's a similar kind of character though. I mean, like Jesse Pinkman is kind of like on the surface like this tough guy, you know. Um, but then you spend a little bit more time with him and he's really sweet and emotional and empathetic and like he doesn't want anybody he doesn't want people to get hurt you know he doesn't want like bad things to happen he's just he's got some issues you know right and it's such a there's so much more to that character than just the junkie you know and that's it's that's how Eddie's painted at first and that's how Roland sees Eddie that's how uh, Balazar sees Hen uh, Eddie and even to some extent how Eddie's brother saw him you know and mm -hmm. then eddie loses his brother henry um who he's got this is this major connection with um but then he kind of like gains another kind of quasi older brother you know it's yeah yeah Damn. one that's not quite so toxic you know still a little toxic <clears throat> still a little toxic definitely definitely is is a little toxic but uh yeah i i really like their relationship and i'm really excited to see how so maybe my predictions won't be very good because like who the hell knows what's going to happen in this next book but uh i am very excited to see how uh susanna now being one moves forward and integrates herself into the group and what role she plays you know is she going to be like long-range sniper maps and navigations expert you know wizard <laughs> what's healer you know there's all the sorts of roles we need to fulfill and I'm excited to see which one she takes. Yeah, um, I can tell your voice is starting to get a little bit cracked up yeah. out of here. So let's go ahead and end it right there. Um, man, I'm so happy we're reading these books together. This is so cool. And Same. Wastelands is going to be a great episode. I can already feel it. It's, a, it's my favorite book, personally. Really? The third one? Yeah, third one's my favorite. It's very I, good. I hate to even say, like, this one was so much better than the first one, though it was, but it was like, they're so different. Each one is so yeah. unique, and that's what I think really the, the pleasure of reading it is. It's like, well, this one was better than that one. I was like, man, they're so different that, like, yeah. it's hard you know, to even You don't know what them. you're going to get? You have no yeah. idea? Yeah, that's, I think that's the first time you have not been able to predict anything. I know. I'm just like, well, <laughs> I'm excited to see what Susanna's going to do. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this recap of book two in the Dark Tower series. This has been a blast. I'm so happy that we're all reading these together. Even if you're listening to this like 10 years from now, we're happy to have you here. Uh, when, stick around for the next six episodes because we still have a lot of book to cover. Guns so are going to be slinging. <laughs> everybody, so hope you have an awesome rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. 
Hi, everybody. But also, Evan. Oh, oh Long yeah. Long days oh. and pleasant nights. May you have twice the number. Almost yeah. forgot. You snuck that in. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. I got you, boo.